This morning, I would like you to imagine uh, a man named Bill. And as you picture him in your mind, uh, Bill has wild hair. He has a t-shirt with holes in it. He has jeans and he has no shoes on. Um, And that was Bill's, uh, literally his wardrobe for four years that he was in college. And Bill actually became a Christian while he was attending college. And um, across the street from that college was a church. And, And that church, the members of that church were usually very neatly dressed. Um, and they, they had a desire to develop some kind of ministry to the students across the street, but they weren't sure how. Uh, but one day, Bill decided he was going to visit that church. And so he walks into the church uh, with his jeans and his T-shirt and his wild hair and no shoes on. And he, he comes down the center aisle and he looks for a place to sit. Well, the, the church was packed that day, and so he had trouble finding a seat and the, the members of the church were watching uh, Bill come up the aisle, and you could just kind of feel the tension uh, as he came in. And uh, as he came to the front, uh, he realized that there, there were no seats. And so Bill decided, I'll just sit here. And so he sat in the center aisle right on the floor. And maybe you've heard this story, but there was uh, an elder from the back of the church who started to make his way towards Bill. And the elder was in his 80s, gray hair, three-piece suit, pocket watch, a very elegant, godly man, very dignified. And so he starts forward towards Bill, and uh, the members of the church are thinking to themselves, well, we can't really blame him for what he's about to do here. I mean, how can you expect a man of his age and background to understand a college kid sitting on the floor. Uh, But it takes a while for the elder to get to the front of the church and all eyes are watching him and the church is silent and the minister can't even begin preaching until the elder uh, finishes what he has to do. But when he reaches the front, the congregation is watching him closely and with great difficulty, he lowers himself onto the carpet right next to Bill so that Bill will not be sitting alone in church. And after the pastor gathered his emotion, you know, he said, what I'm about to say today you probably will not remember, but I hope that what you've just seen you will not forget. You see, you and I live in a world where people are very different from one another. And there are a lot of unwritten rules about what's acceptable and what's not. And a lot of times those differences or those unwritten rules are actually highlighted, which makes it even more difficult for us to accept one another. And unfortunately, those rules or those uh, differences don't suddenly disappear as we come through the church doors. Um, For example, um, some of you like to really dress up for church. That's neat. Um, Others of you feel like you worship better relaxed. Not right, not wrong, just different. I imagine among us there are some different tastes in music. I hear some of you like accordion and harmonica music. Some of you I know really like the historic Uh, songs or the hymns. Others of you long for a more contemporary form of worship. Will those differences 
divide us? I hope not. I hope not. I hope we're mature enough to do all those different things and to appreciate it, even if it's not our particular style. But it's an example of, of, a, of a difference. Um, and some of us, and I, I don't say this in an offensive way, but some of us here are really old. Some of us here are really young. Is that a problem? I don't know. I hope not. It's a difference, though, isn't it? And some of you have lived in Firth your entire life, and others of, of you are outsiders. Does that make any difference? Shouldn't, right? really shouldn't. There are even Iowa Hawkeye fans among us. <laughs> yeah, I know. Big groan there. Uh, my point is that outside of the biblical commands that are meant to shape our behavior, there are all kinds of external things or unwritten rules that sometimes they should not keep us from accepting one another or welcoming people who are different than we are. Now, we may think that our world is diverse, but uh, the Apostle Paul actually in the book of Romans is writing to a world that is fractured into thousands of groups uh, based on the differences that, that are alienating people from one another, especially in terms of race or gender or economic status. And in Romans 15, Paul prays that the believers in Jesus, despite all of these differences, would be united and of one mind and accepting of one another. And then he defines what it means to accept one another. And in this context in Romans, it means welcoming someone who is different than you. Um, We're going to read Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to discuss what hinders us from accepting one another. Why should we do it? And then a few practical steps for actually how do we accept one another. So Romans chapter 15, and we'll read verses 1 through 7. This is the Apostle Paul writing here. He says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. So, that's a beautiful picture. What hinders us from accepting one another? What gets in the way, first of all? Well, first when we judge one another in disputable matters. Um, There are some things, like what we eat or what we drink, that we may have different practices and opinions about. Paul says in Romans 14.1, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. And in this particular New Testament church, and others like it at that time, some Christians 
were refusing to engage in certain legitimate activities. And that practice had came about because of their previous sinful associations with those activities. Others, uh, however, were free um, from this very real but unwarranted guilt that the others felt. And so in, in both the Roman and the Corinthian churches, one of these activities involved eating meat that had been offered to idols. Paul brought the problem into clear focus, uh, particularly in his Corinthian letter. 1 Corinthians 8.4 says, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. 1 Corinthians 8, 7 and 8, however, says, But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. So there's this tension in the church. How does Paul deal with that? First, he speaks to both the weak and the strong. Romans 14.3 says, The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Same word there, accepted him. Paul continues in verse 5. Another example of a disputable matter. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So he speaks to both the weak and the strong. Second, after exhorting both the mature and the immature Christians not to judge one another in these disputable matters, Paul then lays responsibility on those who are mature. And those, in, in this instance, it would be those who could eat the meat that was offered to idols without feeling guilty. And in Romans 14, 20 and 21, he says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Which is why he says to us in the passage we just read, Romans 15, 1, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And so, if we're truly mature in Christ, we're going to be sensitive towards our brothers and sisters in Christ who may not be as strong as we are. And we're going to be careful to do nothing that might cause them to stumble or might cause them to fall into sin. And so, uh, brothers and sisters, if we can avoid judging people in these external disputable things, our unity can grow. And those who are weak will soon grow strong. And those who are strong will become even more mature. And we can truly accept each other even though we're different. So, unnecessary judgments can hinder our accepting one another. Another thing that can hinder us, the Bible tells us, is showing partiality or favoritism. That can be a barrier as well. Paul writes in Romans twelve sixteen, live in harmony with one another. And he also says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Children quickly recognized up here, 
maybe and maybe it was based on who was a boy or a girl i don't know what it was based on but they they didn't care about any of that and and i think that's that's good um to not have pride to not be conceited james calls this sin prejudice and as he writes in the book of james uh chapter 2 verse 1 there's no room for misinterpretation in what he says he says my brothers As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. And James was writing that because in his location, um, someone who would would come into the church well-dressed and obviously rich, and the leaders would immediately give him a favorable seat or the best seat. But when a poor man came in dressed in shabby clothes, um, they ushered him to a seat that was less prominent. And when the, when, when the people did that, James says in chapter 2, verse 4, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And to make sure that they really get his point, James spells out in clear terms, verse 9, he says, But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And so my point is that prejudice or favoritism or discrimination in the body of Christ ends up rejecting and alienating some and accepting others, which violates the whole law of God and violates the whole nature of the body of Christ. Because we're all meant to be one in Christ. Amen? Maybe. Okay, you agree. Good. Every member of the body of Christ is important, whether they're rich or whether they're poor whether they're young or whether they're old, whether they're black or white or weak or strong, whether they speak English or they speak Spanish or any other language. Because when we show favoritism, we can destroy the unity or the harmony or the oneness in the body of Christ that Jesus and Paul prayed and commanded. Because God has created us to be different, yes, But he's also created and designed us to accept one another. So why should we accept one another? Or why should we welcome someone who is very different than us? And and this is what I really want to talk about this morning. So if you, you know, if you lost or you got distracted or fell asleep in the first part, come back. This is important. This is what I really want to talk about. Why should we do this? First of all, because... We define people differently. We define people differently. Or at least we should. The world, if you notice, defines its people by all kinds of external measurements. You know, how do you look? How much money and stuff do you have? What's your job? What do you do? What are you good at? Who are you related to? Where are you from? But friends, in the church... None of this stuff matters. Or at least it shouldn't. It doesn't matter because we don't define ourselves horizontally. We don't define ourselves by these external things. We define ourselves vertically. And so the measure is not these external things. The measure is who we know. Right? And so as a part of the body of Christ, as a believer in Jesus, when we meet someone who is new and very different than ourselves, the external differences are not a problem, or they shouldn't be, because we don't define or value people by externals. 
Followers of Jesus seek to value and define people differently than the world. I hope we do. So that's one reason we accept one another. The second reason is because, straight from our text, Jesus accepted us. Look at verse 7. It says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. And so Paul uses Christ as his example for acceptance. And he says we're to accept other Christians as Christ accepted us. So that leads us to the question of how has Christ accepted you? As he sees you, as he's looked at you, did, did he consider your nationality? Did he consider your wealth or your status? Did he say, well, <clears throat> I'll accept you if your behavior improves a bit? No. Because when we become Christians, Jesus Christ accepts each of us unconditionally. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I think that truth is beautifully captured in the song we sang earlier, Rock of Ages. Uh, the second verse says, Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no languor know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. In my hands no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I claim. And so Jesus Christ doesn't even ask us to clean up our act before he accepts us. Rather, he said that he accepts us just as we are, our weaknesses and all, and he tells us to come to him and receive him, and he will clean up our act. This is what Paul meant after this great declaration I just read in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, because in Ephesians 2, 10, you'll notice he continues the passage, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Which is pretty cool. We could do a whole separate sermon on that. But, but why should we accept one another? Because we define people differently. Because Jesus accepted us. And then finally, because it brings praise and glory to God. Back to verse 7 again. It says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And other translations there say, Glory to God. So if you think about it, for people who aren't Christians, how do they usually come to know Jesus? How do they usually come to follow Him? Well, often it's because they see a community of believers or a church that truly loves the Lord and they truly love and accept one another regardless of their differences. And, and that's happened all throughout history. Um, as I shared earlier, the world that Paul is talking to full of all kinds of factions and divisions. And so in the midst of that, communities of Christians began to spring up and these are people who would not have otherwise have been seen with one another. And all of a sudden, they're living in a loving community together. And the world notices that. They see that. Um, just one example, if you look at uh, Syrian Antioch in Acts chapter 13, the elders there are people 
who never would have associated with one another. And, and so you may look around you this morning and say, yeah, I probably wouldn't be hanging out with these people on my own. But this is what Christ does. He, in his body, he unites people who are so different from one another so that together they can give him the glory. And the world notices it. They see this. They go, wow, what is happening there? But, but in Antioch, for example, you have Barnabas. He's a Hellenistic Jew. Simeon, a Gentile, probably African uh, heritage. Lucius of Cyrene, who was probably a Greek. Menean, an aristocrat, probably a half-Jew. And then Paul, a Hebraic Jew. These people would not have gotten together. And so in Paul's day, back to Paul's day again, many people would mock the Christian's message of a crucified Messiah. They would sneer at their claims that Jesus is the truth rather than one of many ways. But they could not deny that Christians from very different backgrounds loved one another in a way that no one else could. And so the New Testament reveals that they struggled greatly in this area, and they weren't perfect, but they were a powerful demonstration of the reality of the Savior, just as Jesus said that they would be when he told his disciples to love one another. They'll know we are Christians by our love. So, what are some practical steps for us in accepting one another? Well, I believe it all begins when we're willing to evaluate our own attitudes and our own actions to see if we're accepting or rejecting other believers based on our own standards. And I'm talking about standards that are outside the Bible because we're obviously a community that's united by Christ and we're trying to follow what God's Word says. And so accepting others unconditionally doesn't mean that we accept what the Bible clearly calls sin. In fact, we encourage each other to follow God and to be free from sin. But my point is that our love for for others is not dependent on their holiness or their performance. And so as you evaluate standards, the the man-made standards, what what man-made standards do we place on other people to decide whether we accept or reject them? Think about that. Evaluate those. And then if you realize, hey, this is a man-made standard, it needs to go. So I think the first step is just recognizing the man-made standards that we put up to either accept or reject other people. Secondly, to evaluate our attitudes towards other Christians concerning uh, any prejudice or, or favoritism and recognizing that. And this is hard because this is a really subtle kind of sin. For example, uh, if you look at the Apostle Peter, uh, five years after the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, uh, he finally began to understand and accept the fact that Gentiles could actually be saved. It took him five years to come to that, and God had to do some miracles and tell him to do different things, and so it took some time. It's very subtle to see um, how we do this, and so to evaluate that, um, and so to think about, you know, what about you? And can, can you truly accept all other believers as brothers and sisters in Christ? And so if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning in one of these areas, 
just to acknowledge it as sin and to pinpoint the areas of your life where you need to change or ask God to help you to overcome that sin and to pray specifically about specific problems. And as a believer in Christ this morning, I want to ask you about your involvement with other Christians. Do you have some close friends about whom you can honestly say, you know, I never would have even wanted to know these people if, it ha- if I hadn't come to Christ. And are you able to talk about how God has spiritually impacted or touched your life through these friends who are very different than you are? I hope you can say yes to those questions. I know many of you can. But if you can't say yes to those questions, then I believe you're missing out on one of the greatest aspects of the Christian life. This is how God grows us. This is how God refines us. So what do we do? Well, I think there are a number, number of applications, number of possible ways that we can reach out in faith. And so the third point I'm just going to call reaching out in faith because it might mean different things for different people here this morning. Um, maybe a commitment to be personally or constantly involved with other Christians uh, who are different than you or who think differently than you do. Maybe that means being in a small group, or maybe uh, doing a service or a work project together. Or maybe um, maybe it's something totally different. Maybe as I'm talking this morning, you're going, you know, there's somebody in this body that I really have trouble accepting. I'm just being honest. Hey, there's somebody here that I really have trouble with. And, and so to admit that and to make a decision to show love to them in some way, in a very specific manner. You know, maybe it's having them over for dinner or maybe it's something totally different. I don't know. But, but my encouragement to you is to not wait until you feel like loving someone, but to actually in your mind say, I need to love someone. How do I do that? And go about doing that. And the feelings come after that because if we wait for the feelings, they may never come. But Christian love is action and it's acting on what we know is right. And so... The challenge is to reach out in faith. And then in that, as, as we seek to accept one another, as we seek to accept someone who's different than us, to focus on the attitudes that God wants to change in us rather than in the differences of our Christian friends. In other words, to let your relationships with each other drive you deeply into the identity that you have in Christ. And the identity that, that, that you value and define people in Christ. And so to allow God as you rub shoulders with each other to expose and free you from your own hang-ups. Whether that's um, an impatience or a rigidity or racism or chauvinism or pride. Whatever that is, allow the Holy Spirit in our relationships to reveal who you are and to show you what it would mean for you to accept one another just as Christ accepted you.